Paul Jaglowski has taken patient experience surveying to the next level, collecting real-time information from patients right in the midst of their encounters. The big guys, like Prescani, Qualtrics, and NRC, are nervously looking over their shoulders at this new kid on the block. Paul has gone from baseball player to management consultant to startup executive in a few short years. Along the way, he's collected a 30 under 30 award, but he's also contracted COVID-19. Thankfully, he's recovered from that in time to be in the running for the 40 under 40. For books, he recommends reading The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. You may remember that my previous guest, Alex Zaposochny, also recommended this book. And he also recommends The Bottom Billion, Why the Poorest Countries Are Failing and What Can Be Done About It by Paul Collier. I'm your host, David Williams. Thanks for tuning in, and remember to subscribe to HealthBiz. Paul, it's good to good to be with you today. How's it going? Likewise. Uh, thanks for having me, David. Nice uh, long break for the week of Thanksgiving, so excited to be back at it. Yeah, sounds good. And as long as you're not the turkey, I guess Thanksgiving is a, is a good time one way or the other. Fair enough. So, Paul, so uh, I want to hear a little bit about about your background. I mean, where'd you like? Where'd you grow up? What what would you do for education? What was your, what was your early career like before before coming over to Feed Trail? Absolutely. So, born and raised in Chesapeake, Virginia. Uh, you know, growing up, played a bunch of different sports. Ended up going to college at Ferrum College, where I played baseball. Yeah. In- what was your position? I played shortstop. Nice. Yeah, it was fun. I, uh, you know, after after college, moved up to D.C. Well, I guess when, when I was in college, I majored in international studies and economics with a minor in Spanish. So kind of had the idea of either going into international development or international business in some regard. Kind of goofy how that worked out. The fact that I'm currently the CEO of a, of a company with clients in about a dozen different countries. So weird how that worked out. Wasn't the plan at the time, but after college, I... Moved up to D.C. where I worked for a fintech startup called On Deck Capital in an operations role. Was there for about a year as we were preparing for IPO. So On Deck Capital, that's, does that tra- trace back to like to your baseball uh, days or any connect? You're trying to make these connections here. You might not have seen before. Funny, no, it didn't. There was actually I was employee of the month once, and they gave me an engraved baseball bat, which was cool. So good nice. ended up working out. Um, but I was there about a year and then ended up going into management consulting where I worked for Booz Allen Hamilton in D.C., for about three years doing process improvement, strategic consulting, organizational change management work. And then after being there about three years, it kind of came to that point where you either make the commitment to stay in consulting, go to business school or or try to try something else. And you know, that's what led me eventually into, into co-founding Feed Trail. When I was traveling weekly for, for Booz Allen, I was staying in hotels, renting cars, flying on airplanes, and I would continuously get a survey, uh, you know, either a phone call or via email. Let's say it was at a Marriott. Two days after checking out, I would get a survey about my experience or flying or renting a car. A week after my rental car experience, Enterprise would send me a survey about my experience with the Grand Cherokee. By that point, I was already in the Chevy Malibu the next week. So I was somewhere else. So it just kind of started making me aware of, geez, there's so many inefficiencies in, in the ways that businesses learn from their customers. And that kind of put the bug in my ear. And then here we are. 
Yeah, that sa- that sounds uh, sounds good. I'll say you got a pretty linear story here, so we won't we won't do anything predictive and tell you where it's going to go from here. But uh, hopefully, you know, you're not going to become like the next Joe Rogan just because you're on a podcast. But uh, but who knows? So far, so good. So so you got so you got a prize thirty under thirty. I always like that thirty under thirty. I, I think the hardest one is like you know five under five or one under one. But thirty under thirty is pretty pretty good. What was what was what was that about? Yeah, that was neat. It was unexpected. So it was from an organization called the CX Network. It's essentially an online resource for customer experience, marketing, insights. And every couple of years, they release a 30 under 30 list of individuals who are innovating in the space of customer engagement, customer experience. You know, at the time, I was 27 and we were about a year into starting this company and we had started making some small ripples. I think we had clients at the time in eight or nine different industries, a few, maybe a hotel here, a airline here, a bank, a few retails or restaurants. And they simply, you know, they acknowledged that we were doing something different and trying to go up against some of the big incumbents. And, you know, looking back at it, it was pretty cool. A few others on that list were individuals at Facebook, United Health, Merit, CX, Tesco, some big organizations. And we were a little, gosh, at the time, I think maybe eight or nine employee company. And, you know, obviously we're quite a bit larger now, but it was, it was a cool, cool award to win at the time. That's pretty good. Well, you'll have, you know, they still have 40 under 40. By the time you get to 50 under 50, I don't think they have that in that. That's more like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get the 50 over 50. There but, you go. Uh, maybe, maybe next year uh, we can, we can do that. So let's talk about this whole concept of kind of, you know, patient experience. You, you just talked about, you know, clearly in the, you know, in, in the rental car field and travel in, mm-hmm. in general, you, you see this kind of customer uh, experience out there, but what about the idea? What about in healthcare and, you know, patient experience when when did that concept take hold yeah so back in quick little history lesson if i remember it accurately back in 2006 i believe cms rolled out something called hcaps it's a nationally mandated survey standardized across the country for all hospitals health systems in an effort to to support value-based purchasing and improve the quality of care that patients were receiving across the country so you know, I can speak back to, we just got involved in this industry about four or five years ago. Um, but for the last decade, I guess maybe 15 years, there's really been a lot of emphasis put on the quality of the experience and the patient satisfaction. You know, so much so that they are chief quality officers uh, and then teams t- ex- exclusively tied to consumer insights within healthcare, which wasn't the case 10 years ago. So, you know, that really kicked it off. And when we, 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 I simply, I, I remember the day I learned about HCAPS. I was, I was sitting at an event for, for Haiti. I'm on a board of an orphanage in Haiti. And I was sitting at a table with someone from Innova Health System. And I started talking about this business idea we were, we were playing around with. And she said, Do you know about HCAPS? And I said, No idea. Please tell me. So she yeah. gave me a little lesson. And, you know, you start realizing yourself, you know, all of us are at times, unfortunately or fortunately, patients ourselves or family members are in the hospital and you start seeing this and feeling these interactions. My wife being an ER nurse, I'd hear about it from her perspective. My dad being a, a therapist, I'd hear it from his perspective. And it really led us to kind of open our eyes and said, geez, we could be far more efficient with the way in which health systems are learning from, engaging with and ensuring positive, consistent experiences for their patients. And that really put us on the led us to the journey we're on right now. 
you know, I wonder whether you know, there's a lot of things that are imposed by the by the government, you know, by CMS. You have to, you know, submit a lot of data about all sorts of things. You have to do compliance. You have to be ready for audits. And clearly, HCAPS is something that they were doing because they're, they're required to do it. And you mentioned there's chief quality officers and so on now. But, you know, is, is the patient experience something that the provider organizations really care about? Because the quality could be could be other things, too, that they might, you know, they might measure. Uh, without regard to what the patient thought about it. Yeah, you know, I, I absolutely do think it's something they care a lot about. Um, you know, we hear it all the time, whether it be from our, our partner organizations, prospective clients, you know, beyond just ensuring a patient has a good experience, right? Everybody has the the ethical rationale for why it's important that a patient feels supported, cared for, uh, listened to throughout that experience. But the reality is now from a business standpoint, patients are being seen as customers. They have far more options for where they go to receive healthcare, right? They can go to urgent care versus ED, virtual health versus in, in person. So these provider organizations kind of have to care because they need to ensure those patients feel supported and ultimately remain loyal to their organization. Now, what do you think that this gathering of the patient experience information has achieved, you know, up to this point? It's been, been added for 10 or 15 years, as you say. Has there been achievements as a result of, of having that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's of course, the generic ROI we can talk to, right? Better healthcare outcomes, better profitability for the organization, increased patient loyalty, lower readmission rates. Um, but, you know, I continuously hear this and we see this firsthand in the conversations we have with our, with our partners. You know, we, they really are working hard to treat patients as customers. They want to delight them. They don't just want to provide health care. They want to ensure they truly feel supported. They're treated as individuals. And, and that's been a major impact of this, right? Initially, it was intended just to ensure that patients were receiving a high quality of care. But now there's really been an impressive amount of commitment to ensuring a personalized, tailored experience for every patient. You know, and you, you talked about your, um, your observation as a consultant. Oh. Uh, you know, where you were driving the Cherokee one week and the Malibu the next, and they're asking you about something that may have been the Cherokee, or you know, or maybe maybe it was the Harley Davidson that you uh, that you rode without you know putting that on your expense account properly. But you know, what what are the issues? Yeah, healthcare is usually way behind, which is which is a great advantage if you're coming from from somewhere else. But you know, what are the issues with how the patient experience information is is typically gathered? Is the same sort of issue as uh, you know with your rental car experience, or you know, what are some of the problems? That's a great question. You know, it's it's not really the same. Oh, sure. There's some similar issues, right? The delayed uh, collection of the data. But one of the challenges, look, I don't mean to bash HCAPS there. It's done wonderful things for the, for the industry, and it's absolutely a great starting point. But the way in which they administer HCAP surveys, it's via paper and pen mailed surveys or phone calls or IVF, uh, IVR, which those survey requests go out a minimum of 48 hours post-discharge and up to six weeks post-discharge. So you know, a major challenge for these these healthcare teams is getting data in a timely manner, enough so they can act on it, make improvements, perform service recovery, and really inform explicit initiatives they're working on. So that simple delay from a logistical standpoint is, is a major challenge. The other is, you know, another alternative for HCAP serving, not alternative, but supplement, is nurse rounding. It's a tremendous practice, leader rounding, where you go face-to-face and talk to patients, ensuring they feel supported and understand next steps. By all means, it's a great best practice. But the challenge there is, as you can probably imagine, if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, David, how's your experience going? Is your nurse being uh, a patient with you? Do you understand your next, next steps explicitly? Are we communicating effectively? 
you know, there might be some fear of retribution face to face. You don't want to tell that to your provider if you aren't enjoying your experience with them. So that's also another challenge where, all right, you can do the post-discharge surveys and hope somebody answers the phone or hope they check their mail and spent a bit of time filling out and mailing back a survey, or you can go face to face to engage with them. And again, hope they are being honest and, and forthcoming with you. Yeah, that's uh, some good points. I mean, I know I've been, we work in this, in this space, both on, you know, organizations that are trying to collect uh, patient experience information for accountability, but also uh, as a patient or as a parent of a, of a patient. Generally, if you've had some sort of a medical, you know, episode, and then when this survey comes in the mail, it's also when you're getting all these bills and all these follow-up things and you open this thing up and you're like, which doctor was this for? And was this my older kid or my younger one? And was it, you know, the second time I saw them or the first time, you know, who the heck knows? So I don't even know what you, you know, what you kind of do with that, uh, uh, with that information. And then, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, there'd certainly be the question if someone came up and said, how's, you know, how am I doing? And first of all, <laughs> you may not be, you may not be feeling that well, but you, you know, you're, it's an intimidating situation and uh, yeah, you might be concerned about what you're, <laughs> what you're saying. So on, on, on top of all that, you know, obviously the pandemic has changed a, a lot of things. Um, any new issues with patient experience, uh, you know, arising from the pandemic? Yeah, there's been quite a few, you know, for one, you know, it's, it's really illuminated the importance of expectation setting and communication, proactive communication with patients. As you can imagine, there's a lot of insecurity, um, concern around the safety of even receiving healthcare, right? Maybe patients don't want to go and sit in that busy waiting room, even if they think they might unfortunately have COVID, they don't want to sit around a bunch of others who, who, who likely have it as well. Um, as well, you know, with this pandemic, the challenges have shifted pretty aggressively and pretty rapidly. When this first started back in, in the spring, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion around, all right, do we have enough PPE or where do I go to receive care? Now, you know, it's shifted more to, hey, how can we do more virtual engagement? How do I get support without necessarily going in person? And we'll see it very shortly shifting to, all right, what's the situation with the vaccines? Where can I go to get one? When is it my turn? What should I be expecting? How do I sign up for this? So that agility around the patient engagement is something, you know, you asked about some challenges with the, with the status quo. You know, there's not a lot of, there aren't a lot of solutions out there that are truly agile enough to shift and make, make adjustments in the way that organizations are engaging with patients, whether it be proactive, whether it be a survey following an experience, whether it be a reminder as to here, click this link to log into your virtual health appointment, or maybe it's even a virtual check-in to ensure patients have a bit more distance between them and others. And that's really been the biggest thing is how quickly and, and uh, drastically organizations are switching their priorities to support and engage with patients. You know, one of the things that strikes me is that there's been such a shift toward the remote communication with the patient and also not even the patient not being in the, in the office, but also the doctor's not there either at the time of care. And so it's all, you know, it's all new. And whereas you might have kind of month to month incremental changes before in the patient experience, now it's kind of dramatically different and you don't really know, you know, someone might not notice, is it like off-putting the lighting that the, you know, that the, that the physician has on her, you, you can't work with this platform or, you know, whatever it is. And, and, and when you're not right in person, it's also probably harder to pick up on those, on those cues if you're, if you're a provider. So I'm thinking that, you know, just there's a lot of opportunity now for just learning how are these new experiences 
um, affecting people and which ones are, are effective and not. And if, if you're not asking, you're not going to find out. I don't you're think. exactly right. And with the change in the way patients are receiving care, the timeliness of engagement has never been more important. I mean, even with, let's think of our conversation right now. If you go, if we get off this and, and your wife says, hey, David, how was your conversation? What did y'all talk about? If she asked you that 30 minutes from now versus three days from now, I'm sure you'll have a bit more uh, specific examples to talk to. And that's what's been so important now. If she asked me a question, I'm like, you listen to my podcast. I don't have time to talk to you. We actually just celebrated our 25th anniversary, but nonetheless, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk like that to her, you know, or we wouldn't still be married. But yeah, you get the point that the timeliness and the, the specificity with which uh, they're engaging has never been more critical. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that makes good sense. So you started this company, Feed Trail. And I, first, I want to ask you, what, what, is, what is Feed Trail? Where that, where that come from? I'll tell you what comes to mind for me after you tell me the, the real origin. Oh, I've heard plenty of, uh, plenty of others' opinions as to what the name actually means. But the concept of being able to follow a trail of feedback, so a feedback trail, condensed feed trail. Good. All right. Now that's, that sounds good to me. It was, it sounds like a habit trail, you know, for a hamster. Do they still have those when in the seventies they had those when I was growing up or, or a feed trail is like a horse following, you know, something down a path, hoping they're going to get some oats at the end. That is fair. Yeah. Maybe some trail mix to go along with it. Yeah. Really. It's good. So, all right. So, so that, all right. So it's a good name. That makes sense. Now what, so what, what is feed trail doing? You know, how did it kind of come about and you know, wh where's the real focus? Cause as you said, you know, Caps has been out there for a while. There's other companies in the space. So, you know, why why the need for a new company and what's FeedTrail's approach? Yep. When we first started it, the idea was simply these organizations need a way to engage digitally, right? Every patient, every person has a cell phone handy. Right now, if I reached out, mine's a foot away from me. I'm sure yours is similar. Where, why are you waiting to engage with them via methods they're not, normal, they're not necessarily prioritizing? So we initially built a real-time digital feedback, real-time feedback solution. So rather than waiting days, we would engage with the patient immediately after, per your recent example, immediately after meeting a provider for the first time. You know, the average inpatient stay at some of our clients is five days and they see four different hospitalists throughout that duration of the stay. Why are you waiting until they leave to only ask about that discharging physician's experience? But over the last two years, you know, we had a really awesome opportunity to be, participate in the Cedars-Sinai Accelerator Program prestigious health system out in LA. They have a wonderful program where they bring 10 of the most innovative healthcare software or, or hardware companies from throughout, uh, across the world together for three months to really dig into the details and figure out how you can innovate alongside some of their leaders. And while there, you know, we got some incredible opportunities to partner with individual leaders such as Alan Dubowski, the chief experience officer at Cedars, and their whole innovation team and their patient and family advisory uh, committee to really sit down and say, all right, Real-time engagement is important, but how do we go one step further? And via working with him, via working with other organizations like Boston Children's or Mayo Clinic or Novant, we, we realize that it's not just engaging in real time, but it's treating every patient as an individual. And our platform was built in a very flexible way. So we don't just, it's not only the fact that we make it easier to engage in a more real-time manner, not only the fact that we can fill those touch points that patients interact with, but if you think about a patient journey, one thing we truly believe is that journey is comprised of far more than just that face-to-face -face or on-site interaction they have with a provider. It's the brand experience leading up to that appointment or leading up to their first experience with a health system. And then it's the 
communication throughout the duration. Maybe they entered through the ED, went to med surge, then were admitted for four days, then followed up with a specialist, right? There's so much more than just that discharging unit. And there's a lot of interactions patients have throughout that journey. So we sat down with their you know, patient family advisory committee and really mapped out the entire, a variety of different patient journeys, right? Maybe it was a unexpected, uh, an unexpected medical coming in through the ED for a patient who'd never been there before. That patient has an entirely different experience than someone who has a planned surgery or who's a frequent flyer coming back. And we realized that engaging at those key touch points in very personalized ways is really the future of this because you can tailor the engagement through, with that patient and your health system and really ensure that consistent brand experience throughout the, throughout the entirety of that journey. So that is what we're doing nowadays. That is where we've expanded far beyond just real-time surveying to do engagement throughout that journey. And that's admittedly where the other vendors in our space who are doing HCAPs or who are doing rounding or real-time surveying Admittedly, they're not quite able to keep up because they're more focused on a specific aspect. We are really being that true, flexible, agile solution that engages with a patient throughout the entirety of that journey. So, you know, how how real-time is this real-time? Because sometimes real-time, you hear it and it's just sort of, right. you know, a little bit delayed and it still kind of round it back to be in real-time. And then on the one hand, it sounds great to have it personalized um, and through the journey. But on the other hand, I could imagine somebody might find it kind of creepy or annoying, like someone looking after their shoulder, just like one more thing bothering them in the, in, in the hospital. So how, how do you manage that? That's a great question. So when you say real time, right, there's a lot of, lot of others who claim to be real time, but it's real time post-discharge. But for us, you know, it really depends on the goals of that organization. It could literally be, let's say you're, it's your first time ever going to Mass General. Maybe they care about that waiting room experience and that you're being communicated with about next steps clearly. So we can engage with that patient maybe in 30 minutes after they check in. Say, all right, do you understand your next steps? Have you been through triage yet? Do you have any questions about how to navigate the hospital? Um, another option could be maybe after you meet your provider for the first time, because that's a pretty impactful experience, right? You ideally know what your diagnosis is. Um, another option could be post-discharge. Maybe you are an imaging patient and it's three hours following your exam, but it's really flexible depending on the goals of that organization. And to your question about it being creepy, you know, that's something that we obviously consider early on is how personalized can we be without, without weirding somebody out? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, these patient and family advisory committee meetings, we ask them that very explicitly. It's like, all right, guys, let's walk through this experience. At what points are you nervous? At what points are you anxious? What, what are you worried about at this point in your journey? And then number two, it's when are you, when would you welcome a message from us? If we gave you a welcome message, knowing it was your first time ever uh, at Novant Health, would that be comforting? Would it weird you out? Um, and the, the overwhelming majority say, look, we like the tailored engagement. We're used to getting these post-discharge surveys where we feel like a number. They're asking me the same 29 questions, whether I was there for childbirth or I came in unexpectedly uh, through the ED and ended up having surgery. Being treated as an individual and showing that you, you are aware of my unique experience really goes a long way and we welcome engagement. So if somebody, like if I'm in a waiting room and, and, and the thing pings me and says, you know, is that guy over there is kind of loud and smelly? Do you, do you want me to get it? Is he bothering you? Do you want me to get him out of the way? Would that be going too far? Or do you do that kind of thing with your with your Nobody's tool? Nobody's requested that yet. <laughs> yeah. From a technicality standpoint, maybe. Now, what do, do people do? Like, is the idea that, you know, you're giving feedback and then there's some reaction to it and some adjustment? Or is it just you're doing kind of a real-time 
um, mapping through the journey that you then replay later is like the, the collection I understand is real time. What's the kind of response meant to be like? And that's, that's again, I hate to keep saying it depends on the use case, but we, ha- we work with over 60 health systems, over 4,000 different sites in the U.S. alone. And I don't want to say they all use it differently. Of course, the a generic use case is by engaging in real time. Let's say it's a, uh, a patient is concerned about their discharge instructions. The ideal being that would ping the unit manager or charge nurse and say, hey, patient Paul Jagolowski in room 201 would like some clarification before he's discharged in an hour. Right. So it, we, we absolutely enable that real time service recovery. But if you think about uh, a, a busy ED, we have several clients who see over 100,000 patients in their level one trauma center a year. Right. That's far too many coming through there. It's far too dynamic to say okay, let's go provide service recovery every time a patient's less than perfectly satisfied. And in those cases, you know, those organizations are using our platform to monitor change or improvement initiatives, right? So a prime example is with the pandemic, several of our clients started asking questions to their other patients, which of these safety protocols made you feel most comfortable? Is there something we're missing? After a week's worth of data, they have several hundred or several thousand data points. They can say, all right, maybe we do need to prioritize having masks for every patient or having dividers between the seats. So that's a totally different use case where it's not just service recovery, but it's informing improvement opportunities and initiatives. And lastly, I mean, we talked about the hospitalist example. Many of our, our, our partners are using it for coaching. They're reinforcing best practices and confirming which of those best practices really had the biggest impact for patients. And that way, whether it be for the the weekly nurse huddles or leadership huddles, uh, it can be used to reinforce or, or confirm, hey, this is really important. Maybe don't spend as much time doing this, but prioritize this instead. When I think about um, this field from a commercial standpoint, I think about Press Ganey as being the leader in patient experience. And then more broadly, I think about Qualtrics being one that does kind of the overall you know, satisfaction are those the the right lens to be thinking about in terms of you know who your customers would be considering, and you know what do these companies think of you to the extent that they know about Feed Trail and you know are they going to crush you like a bug or you know what's going to happen here? Yeah, so you're spot on. Those are absolutely two of the big players in the space. Press Ganey's been the go to for the last 20, 20 plus years for for patient satisfaction. Qualtrics, obviously, they have a a big brand and have had a lot of success outside of healthcare. They are one of the, they're, they're aggressively trying to move into healthcare because they too see the opportunity. So yes, you know, with them, it's interesting. We, there are instances where we are supplementary, right? Where we complement each other. Maybe Press Ganey's doing the cap surveying or Qualtrics is doing the cap surveying and we come in and do more of the real-time surveying. Um, there are also instances where we can compete head to head. There's no denying that. So we, we absolutely have a lot of respect. I think there's a mutual respect. And in the, the last couple of years, we've been fortunate in the fact that we, we're bringing on some pretty big, well-known names who have either shifted budget away from some of those and shifted it up, or they're using us side by side. But, you know, they definitely know we exist. I think it's, it's pretty clear that we're not just a, a bottom feeder getting the small systems. Now, I, I rattled off a few names earlier. I don't want to name drop too much, but we have some pretty prestigious health systems working with them. Yeah. And these systems know that we're a newcomer. They know that we are a fraction of the size of these organizations. And I think, you know, whether it be Qualtrics, whether it be Press Ganey, you know, they've done a tremendous job and they'll continue to do a tremendous job. But I'd like to think they appreciate us being here to not just push them, but push the industry to innovate alongside them. So you've talked about, you know, kind of the origins of 
patient experience, and there's certainly been a lot on the kind of customer service uh, side of things. You're, you're making innovations and probably pushing Prescani and Qualtrics and others to do the same. As we look ahead, you know, where does the whole patient experience approach go from here? Is it we're sort of at a, uh, a steady state or there's more innovation to be had or it's going to be something that maybe fades away as the, and the next thing comes through? You know, I really think, and I'm not just saying this because we're in, in this industry, but we are really at a, a pretty pivotal point in, in patient experience. You know, three, three and a half years ago, when we first started trying to get into the market, to your point, you know, if we went in there saying, hey, we do survey, we do patient experience surveying, they said, oh, we already have Prescani, we already have NRC, we're good. Now, and it, you know, these organizations are really recognizing what I think I, I mentioned earlier about the patient experience being comprised of far more than just that in-person experience. And, and the importance of really personalizing and tailoring engagement to these patients is, a, is the reason why so many leaders from outside of healthcare are now coming in and heading up these consumer insights departments at these, at these large health systems. I, I can't tell you the number of these big organizations who a year and a half ago were talking to just quality or, or patient experience teams. Now it's entirely different. It's consumer insights, it's innovation groups. They really are prioritizing this and it's, you know, we feel fortunate to be here at this point in time because, again, the way our, our solution was built, we are a, soft, a software solution at the core of it. Some of these other big vendors, they're more service-based service companies, right? They're sending out, they're administering these paper and pen, these hardware solutions. It's allowing us to be flexible and allowing us to support the ever-changing needs of these health systems. And, you know, it's really led to a lot of the growth we've had and a lot of the reason why these big names are deciding to give us an opportunity. So just changing subjects here, and I want to know, you know, what books you're reading these days, and if you have anything to uh, to recommend as we as we head into the holiday season. Yeah, it's it's pretty germane timing to ask that question. I think I mentioned to you, my wife and I were on kind of better after the last couple of weeks. We unfortunately had COVID, and you can only watch so much TV. So we're, we're doing some rearranging of my my home office. Got a few new bookshelves, and I'm literally going through my books, and you know caused me to dive back into a few that I, I've already read, but I'm currently rereading two books. One uh, is called The Bottom Billion by Paul Collier. Uh, it's, it's about international development, essentially, and poverty traps. As I mentioned earlier, that's something that I'm pretty passionate about. So getting my mind off business every once in a while is really helpful for my sanity. Uh, and two, uh, I'm, I just finished rereading The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Uh, by, by, by Ben Horowitz, of Andreessen Horowitz. I think you probably might know that, but it, it, that's a book that I you know, if you Google, what books should I read? I'm a first time CEO or I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur, what books to read? That always comes up. And I read it about during the first year of us building this company. And the reality was, and I didn't really realize this until now, was it was a bit premature to read that. I hadn't actually had to make hard decisions yet. I hadn't actually built a, a good sized company. And it's amazing how relevant some of his stories are, the challenges of whether it be being a CEO or, or building a competitive business. You know, it's a reminder that, hey, it's the timing with which you read books is is equally as important as which books you read. So I'd say that's, that's another good one. Oh, those are those are some good ideas. You know, the, the hard thing about hard things is, is a book that was recommended by uh, a more seasoned or second or third time entrepreneur uh, who was on the podcast before um, Alex Apisochny from uh, from Clario Vision. So that one's that's already been on there. The Bottom Billion, I have that one too. I, I didn't actually read it, uh, but it's on my shelf. And that was given to me uh, by a former colleague of mine named, named Dennis Farrell. And he also gave me a book at the same time 
um, called The Threat of Pandemic Influenza. Are we ready? And uh, wow. I have I have that one on the shelf too. So I have that. Uh, those are both there. And I think the answer was, you know, no, we're, we're not ready. That, that, that book was from 2005, the pandemic flu one. So wow. um, anyway, these sound like uh, good. You don't have to read the pandemic flu one because we've lived through the uh, this pandemic, and it sounds like you were able to to personally acquaint yourself with the virus. So um, uh, it sounds like you're uh, you're feeling better now, which is uh, which is good to uh, good to hear. So, do you think you'll be skipping the vaccine as a result? You you consider yourself fully immunized, or uh, you know, no one knows yet? I, right, it's, that's a good question. I'm gonna if it gets presented, I'd absolutely welcome it. My wife, being a healthcare worker, I think she's yeah she's gonna have priority, which will be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, well, we have a. Uh, we have a guinea pig in my family, which is my, my brother. He's going to be the first one and see how the uh, the vaccine goes for him before we uh, before we take it to the to the non physicians family. Well, great. Well, Paul Jaglowski, uh, CEO and co founder of Feed Trail, it's been a lot of fun having you on the Health Biz Podcast uh, today, and uh, I wish you uh, success in forty under forty and not being one of the bottom billion and uh, all the other all the other good things. Fingers crossed. Thanks a lot, David. I appreciate you having me. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.